Uh, very good evening to all of you. Please uh, grab a seat. Uh, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here at St. Mary's. If I haven't got the chance to meet you personally, uh, I'd love to meet you over supper after the service uh, tonight. We're continuing on in our series in 1 Timothy. Uh, it'd be great if you can turn back there in your Bibles. It's on page 1182, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 1, page 1182. And uh, as uh, usual, there's an outline of the talk that you can follow along just in the middle of the outline, uh, so you might find that helpful to open that up as well. Well, as we come to God's Word, let us uh, pray to God and ask for His help once again. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that we can gather together tonight as Your people, We pray now as we uh, consider together this uh, part of your word that you'd help me to speak faithfully and we pray that each one of us would have minds to understand, hearts to believe it and the will to put it into practice through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, it's been my experience in the Christian life that the further that you go on in the Christian life, the more aware you become of your own sin. Uh, the longer that you are a Christian, the more that you come to appreciate just how, how holy and righteous God really is. And at the same time, uh, you come to appreciate more and more the, the numerous times that you fell short of his righteous standards. Uh, of course, if you're anything like me, from uh, time to time, we, uh, you start to think to yourself, maybe because of my church attendance or my involvement in uh, various ministries, that uh, somehow that will make me acceptable to God. But unless we're extremely selective with our memories, it is very hard, isn't it, to to wipe out completely those numerous character flaws that we've shown at different points uh, in our life. Uh, Perhaps our part in in a broken relationship, maybe our ethical failures in the workplace, maybe our, our moral failures in our sexual life. Maybe the, the, the bitter slander of our tongue or, or the lies that we've told to friends or, or family that have hurt them so deeply. I, I'm pretty sure that most of us have those kind of things in our past uh, that haunt us from time to time. Uh, and if you're anything like me, we, we do our best really to, to block those things from our consciousness uh, because when they do bubble to the surface, it, the pain and the, the disappointment and the anguish that we've caused they can be quite overwhelming. And it's at those times that they do bubble up, that those questions start to come, isn't it? Does God really love me? Would God really want a wretched sinner like me in his kingdom? Are my sins too many or too great for God to forgive? Does God really want sinners in his service? Well, the great news of our passage this evening uh, is that God is a God of abundant grace. And he's shown that to sinners through Jesus. Uh, Last week we began our series in the book of uh, 1 Timothy. It's uh, written by the Apostle Paul uh, to his child in the faith, uh, Timothy. But we do know that this letter was, uh, if you like, designed to be leaked. Uh, The very last verse of the book says, grace to you, uh, plural. Uh, In other words, Paul intends for the letter to be be, uh, read and understood and accepted by the church in Ephesus uh, as a whole. And as we saw last week, Paul had sent Timothy to Ephesus in order to sort out the various problems 
uh, in the church there. There was uh, certain people that had come in uh, teaching various uh, different doctrines, uh, promoting uh, speculations and about irrelevant things and teaching the law in a, in a way that denied the gospel of grace. Uh, and so Timothy was, was sent in to, to, to sort out all these problems and bring things back on track. Uh, and in verse 11, right at the end of the passage last week, Paul reminded Timothy that the, this uh, glorious uh, gospel news had been entrusted to Paul. Paul had the true gospel. Now, it's easy for uh, that to kind of just wash over us and we miss the significance of that because we need to remember who Paul is or was. Uh, in verses 12 to 17, Paul is going to remind us just what his past was. He shares his testimony in order to show just how gracious God really is. And having shown how great this gospel is, he, in verses 18 to 20, uh, he intends to charge Timothy to do everything that he can to protect it. So two simple points uh, this evening. Point one, God's superabundant grace. And part, uh, point two, holding fast to the gospel. Uh, would, would, would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy 1 and verse 12. Here Paul tells Timothy about his past. Paul writes, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. Uh, we can remember, isn't it what, it, what Paul was like before he was converted. His name was Saul, we read in the book of Acts. And uh, he was not a great, great figure. He was a blasphemer. Uh, Paul was utterly convinced that the Jesus who died on the cross was definitely not the Son of God. And so he happily stood by as, as they picked up the stones uh, to stone Stephen to death. He approved of his death. In fact, he was holding their garments for them while they threw the stones. Uh, but he wasn't just a blasphemer. He was a persecutor himself. Uh, in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, we're told that uh, Saul was actually ravaging the church. He was going from house to house, looking for Christians in order to uh, drag them off and throw them into prison. Uh, but if that was not enough, Paul was an insolent opponent. He, uh, we're told in Acts chapter 9, he was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. Uh, Paul's life ambition, if you like, before he was converted, was to exterminate Christians, to destroy the church of God. But of course, it all changed for Paul one day. He was on his way to, uh, to Damascus, on the Damascus Road, and uh, to throw more Christians into prison. And while he was on the way, a, a blinding light came from heaven. And uh, Jesus himself uh, spoke from heaven, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Uh, Paul fell onto his knees, blinded by the light. And that day he was converted. And Jesus commissioned Paul with a, with a new mission to take the good news of the gospel of Jesus to the very ends of the earth. And so he did. He got up and he started preaching uh, of this Jesus that he was truly the son of God to the great uh, confusion of all who had previously known him. Now, now one, no wonder Paul thanks God here for entrusting him with this ministry. I mean, what an incredible choice by God. How could God call, consider Paul his faithful servant, 
entrust him to this, this job. You'd expect God to choose anyone else but Paul to be his ambassador to the nations. But Paul received grace. You see that at the end of verse 13. But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I see, God treated Paul in a way that he didn't deserve. Uh, Paul says he, he did that because he acted in, in ignorance. He, he, he didn't really know who Jesus was. That's why he didn't believe. That's why he was persecuting uh, the church. Uh, it doesn't make him any less culpable because he was doing that. But that was what happened. Paul received mercy. Uh, God didn't treat him as he deserved. God showed him grace. He gave him what he didn't deserve. And God's grace here is uh, pictured like a, an overflowing river. Uh, bursting its banks. Now, I wonder if uh, any of you can uh, remember, it's about five years ago now, uh, when that happened here at St. Mary's. There's a, there's a river that's just uh, flying, uh, running through the, uh, the side over here. And uh, that day, it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and the river burst its banks and came all the way here uh, into church and caused a great mess of everything. Well, that's, uh, that's what Paul says God's grace was like. It, it, it overflowed. It was, it was abundant, like a river. Uh, in fact, he, he wants to emphasize how, how great it is so much that he actually invents his own word here. Uh, he speaks here of God's superabounding grace or his hyper-overflowing grace. Uh, extravagant, immeasurable, astounding. And we see the effect of it in Paul's life. Uh, it, it, it overflowed with the faith and love that was in Christ Jesus. Uh, Paul was changed from someone who was a, opposed to God to someone who trusted God. He was changed from someone who hated Jesus and his disciples to someone who loved Jesus and sought to serve his disciples. It was a massive change. Now, of course, there's been uh, many uh, stories like this that we see throughout the church's history. Uh, a bit later on, we're going to sing the hymn Amazing Grace. Uh, it was written by John Newton. You may know that before he was converted, he was a slave trader. and uh, He did all kinds of unspeakable crimes uh, against his fellow man. But John Newton was converted, and he went on to write that marvellous hymn, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. Now, many of us saw that same uh, superabundant, overflowing grace uh, in the life of our beloved pastor and friend, Dhanaraj Samuel, who passed away just a year ago now. Now, sparing all the details, you might know them, but before his life was converted, it was in a terrible mess. He was trapped in all manner of, of, of terrible sins. And yet, he came to hear the gospel of grace. He accepted it. And God transformed his life totally. He went from this uh, man trapped in sin to a, a powerful preacher intent on telling everyone about Jesus. And I know he's left a, an indelible mark on so many of us in our church. Well, that was Paul, an evil sinner 
who received grace. Saved, transformed, and commissioned into Christ's service. Now, as we move on, uh, what Paul wants us to understand is that this, this transforming grace of God, it's, it's not the select experience of just a few people like, like Paul. This abounding grace of God is God's normal work. Uh, it's the normal experience of all Christian people. Have a look at uh, how he puts it in verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Now, Paul really wants to underline this. Uh, he's got his highlighter out, he's circled it, it's in bold, and all the rest of it. This, uh, Paul will only have three of these uh, so-called trustworthy sayings in his letter. This is the first one. It's a trustworthy saying. It's, it's faithful. It can be relied upon. This is true. Uh, it's, it's not like all the speculations of the false teachers who are just making up all kinds of irrelevant things. This is faithful. Uh, it's deserving of full acceptance. Uh, it doesn't matter Jew or Gentile, old or young, male or female, whoever you are, this is a universal truth that all people, including everyone here tonight, should hear and accept. Here it is. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Christ, uh, that's not his surname, this is uh, Jesus' title. He is God's promised king who would rule the universe. Christ Jesus came into the world. He was, he was incarnate, he was born of the Virgin Mary, he was placed in the manger. Uh, Christ Jesus came into the world to save. He, he came to die for us on the cross. He came to take the punishment that we deserve for our sins in our place. He came to rescue us from God's judgment and bring us into God's eternal kingdom. Christ Jesus came into the world to save. But the emphasis of this saying is right there at the end. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Not the righteous, not the moral, not the successful. This is the exact opposite of how things work in our world, isn't it? Our world is based on your performance, how good you are, how successful you are, but not with Jesus. Jesus came for moral failures. Jesus came for rebels who have rejected God. Jesus came for those who are disobedient to God's law. Jesus came for sinners like you and me. We don't deserve Jesus' death on the cross. We don't deserve to be in God's kingdom. We don't deserve eternal life. We don't deserve to be called sons and daughters of God. But Jesus came, and as we saw in our gospel reading, he came and hung out with prostitutes, sinners, tax collectors like Matthew. He said to the thief on the cross, today you'll be with me. In paradise, here is the central uh, message of the gospel. This is what the Bible is all about. Uh, it, right at the heart of it is the astonishing grace of God that God doesn't treat sinners as they deserve. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I wonder if you can uh, 
cast your mind back to what life was like before you were a Christian. Uh, maybe if you grew up in a Christian family, what was, uh, uh, cast your mind back to some of those uh, moral failures as you grew up that you would rather forget. And then cast your mind back to the first time you truly understood the gospel of grace. I personally, I grew up in a Christian family and, uh, and that was a wonderful opportunity, but it wasn't really until my second year of university that uh, I really understood grace clearly for the first time. Uh, I can remember I was at a Christian uh, convention in Australia. The topic was on uh, justification by faith. And uh, as the speaker uh, explained the significance of the death of Jesus, uh, I can just remember the, the burden of sins falling away, the guilt taken away, and instead the joy and the assurance and the hope. But as the years go by, it's easy to forget that, isn't it? As the sins pile up, it's easy to think, well, maybe that's not true. Maybe God can't forgive me. As the time goes on, it's easy to, to rely on my own moral performance instead of, more, uh, of relying on Jesus. Uh, we need to keep coming back. To, this is the heart of the gospel. We need to keep uh, drinking again and again from this overflowing fountain of grace in Jesus' death. We must not forget this. This is what it's all about. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners like you and me. Uh, but did you notice uh, that's not how Paul finishes the sentence, is it? Uh, because the focus is not actually on you and me here. It's on Paul. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. All throughout this passage, the focus is on Paul. Eleven times he will say, I or me in this passage. He says, I am the foremost of sinners. You want to see the worst of sinners? Look at me. And that's often the experience with, uh, with, uh, uh, with uh, Christians, isn't it? No one knows your sin more than you do. But as he goes on, verse 16, look what he says. I received mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ may display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Uh, Paul's already given us one reason why he received mercy. He, he acted in ignorance. Well, now he has a second reason. And this one is particularly interesting. Uh, God, Paul received mercy because God intended Paul would be a model, uh, an example, a, a prototype, if you like, for all Christians everywhere. Uh, Paul was shown mercy by God so that we would be absolutely sure, every single one of us, that God can forgive you. As I mentioned in the introduction, it's very easy, isn't it, as you go on in the Christian life, for those niggling doubts to, uh, to, to, to return to us. Uh, look what I've done in my life. That sin is too bad. My past is too dark. My failures are too many. God could never forgive me. But God says here through Paul, look, if you are unsure that God forgives sinners... Look at Paul. Paul murdered Christians. Paul was a blasphemer. Paul made it his life ambition to exterminate the church. He wanted to kill all Christians. And yet, God saved Paul, transformed his life, and called him into his service. I mean, whatever our past has, has been, whatever we have done, we, we see from Paul's life there is nothing that could be too big or too small that God could not forgive. 
If God can show super abounding grace in this way to Paul, then surely that, that same fountain of grace can, can overflow into our life as well. Just look at Paul. And we can see Christ's patience, his mercy, his grace and love for you. Well, I wonder if there's any here tonight that this is the first time that you've really grasped this gospel of grace. It happened for me at that conference in my second year of university. Could it be for you today that this is the first time that you've realized that God wants to show grace to you? Well, if that is you tonight, can I urge you, turn to Jesus tonight. Trust in his, in his son Jesus and his death for you. And be absolutely assured, whatever sin, past, present or future, his death is more than enough to wash it away. Well, notice Paul's response at the end of these verses. As uh, Paul considers God's abundant grace to his life, all he can do is, well, thank and praise God. Now, have a look how he began in verse 12. I, I thank God. He, he, he thanks God for appointing this sinner like him to be his servant. And he ends in the same way, verse 17, in praise. He says, to the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. I mean, what a majestic description of God he has here. He praises God as the sovereign, uh, eternal, incomparable, glorious king of the universe. And isn't that right? I mean, what, what other response could there be to grace? Uh, when you receive an undeserved gift from someone, but, but particularly if it's a big one, uh, there's nothing you can really do to repay it, is there? Uh, all you, you do when someone gives you a gift is you, you thank the giver and you extol their generous character to those around you. See, the more that we understand the depths of our sin and how much we've been forgiven, well, the natural overflowing response will be that we, we give all praise to God for what he's what he's done for us. Uh, you know, Paul just kind of bursts out spontaneously, isn't it, in the, in the middle of his letter in this, this anthem of praise. Uh, but it wasn't just here, was it? Uh, this was why Paul could go on proclaiming the gospel uh, no matter what happened to him. Uh, that's why Paul could, could sing even in the prison in, in Philippi. Paul, Paul had experienced such an abundance of grace that he did not deserve in any shape or form. And all he could do was, was praise God and thank him for it. That ought to be the experience of every one of us, isn't it? Uh, we've received grace through Jesus Christ. He's, he's, he's washed away our sins through his death on the cross. We could have never earned it or deserved it. What else can we do but thank him for appointing us into his service and praise and extol his name? To the world. We ought to overflow in proclamation to our friends and family. We ought to, to overflow in, in faith for God and love for God and service of God like Paul did. We ought to overflow in praise. The grace of God powerfully transforms lives. It takes God-haters, makes them God-lovers, and God-praises.
Well, in verses uh, 18 to 20, Paul uh, shows the implications of this for Timothy. So if this gospel is so glorious, so life-transforming, so amazing, then Timothy has to do everything he can to hold fast to it, to preserve it, to protect it. He must hold fast to the gospel. I uh, see Paul's uh, charge to Timothy in verse uh, 18. This uh, charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. Uh, in verse 11, we already saw that this uh, glorious gospel has been entrusted to Paul. Uh, well, now Timothy passes on the job to his uh, child in the faith, Timothy, he gives them this this charge. It's not an optional charge for Timothy. This is a a military language here. It's like the the commanding officer uh, in the army giving the order to the soldier. This is not an optional order for Timothy. This This is his prime responsibility. He charges Timothy. Uh, And... This is going to be in line with his uh, previous appointment to the task as well. He speaks of these prophecies uh, that have been spoken about him. If you read through the, uh, the rest of 1 and 2 Timothy, you'll uh, probably work out that's talking about his commissioning service. Well, Timothy had been given this important, God-given responsibility to discharge. And what is it? He is to wage the good warfare. In other words... He's to fight for the gospel. Here's the thing. If this gospel of grace is to be preserved in all of its purity, then faithful leaders like Timothy need to be appointed who are going to fight for it. A Christian ministry is no game. Uh, There's a battle going on in the church. And it will always be a battle because there will always be those who will seek to come in preaching a different gospel, shipwrecking their faith. And if the congregation allows them, shipwrecking the faith of the whole church and putting the whole church on the rocks. This is the danger in in Ephesus. That's why Timothy is there. These false teachers have slipped in with their false gospels, not the gospel of grace that transforms lives. They've got, got other teachings, speculations and genealogies and all kinds of other worthless things to say but not the gospel of grace. So Timothy needs to fight. There's a war to be waged. How does he do it? Verse 19, he says, holding faith and a good conscience. Uh, Holding faith or holding the faith here means uh, he needs to guard the gospel. He needs to protect it from these false teachers. Uh, He's already been charged to do this last week. If you cast your eyes back to chapter 1, verse 3, uh, Paul charged him there, to charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrines, not to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations. Uh, Timothy needs to rebuke false teaching, silence speculation, make sure that the law is taught properly in accordance with the gospel of grace. He needs to fight. But not only must he uh, wage this war holding on to the faith, he needs to do it with a clear conscience as well. Uh, In other words, he needs to live out what he preaches. What what he says from the pulpit, he must live out in his life. And we'll see throughout the letter that the belief and behavior and conviction and conscience, teaching and life, they they always go together. And Timothy needs both. He must must, uh, address these false teachers and have the life to back it. Uh, 
And the importance of all these charges is highlighted by, by the danger that Paul shows us in verse 19 and 20. Uh, Paul tells us, by rejecting this, uh, this good conscience, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Uh, see, there's already some in Ephesus who have rejected this good conscience. They're not, they're not living out uh, in accordance with the faith. They, uh, they, they perhaps changed the message to fit their lifestyle. Uh, they started preaching different gospels. They've shipwrecked their faith. And if they're not careful, the church will be on the rocks too. Paul gives these two examples, Hymenaeus and Alexander. Uh, now we know almost nothing about them except uh, Paul's drastic action towards them. Paul says, I've handed them over to Satan. I, th I take it that means he threw them out of the church. Uh, we saw that in the Old Testament reading. If there was a, if there was a false prophet who came up uh, and said false things, what were they meant to do? That he was meant to be killed so that they purged the evil from among them. Well, here, uh, Paul got these false teachers. He threw them out of the church. Now, he wasn't doing it in a vindictive way. We're told here that Paul aims for their restoration. He, he did it that they may learn not to blaspheme. Paul, Paul hopes that these false teachers are going to recognize, their, recognize what they've done, like Paul recognized what he did. And they will join him and Timothy and preach the true gospel of grace. But that, that is the danger. That is always there, that people will, will creep in, that will drift from the true gospel, but drift from the true gospel. Take your eyes off the lighthouse, if you like, and very soon you'll be in the rocks. Your faith will be destroyed and the church will fall too. Well, a few uh, implications as we, as we finish up tonight. Number one, we've seen the big point tonight. Christ Jesus came into the world for sinners. The gospel is the news of how Jesus came to die for people who don't deserve it. God is a God of superabounding grace. He's a God who deliberately showed mercy and grace to Paul so that every single one of us could be absolutely convinced, no matter what our past or what sins we have done, that God can forgive me. Now, friends, one of the implications of that, I think, is as we come to church. You know what it's uh, like as you're coming to church on Sunday. Uh, doesn't matter what happened on the weekend or uh, what argument you had in the car with your spouse and children. Uh, you get to church and you get to the door, isn't it? And you just kind of straighten up, smile goes on the face, and we uh, act like we are perfect people most of the time. Uh, we, give the we can give the impression in that that our church is somehow only for, for righteous people that have uh, met a particular standard, and that's... Only then you can get in the door. But Christianity is not about being a good person, is it? Uh, none of us are good people. Christianity is about recognizing the depths of my sin, knowing how unworthy I am, and yet receiving God's grace through Jesus Christ and his death for me. And when I come through the door, I... I accept everyone, isn't it? I, I can come into church with all of my, my failures and my flaws because God will accept me. God will forgive me. And I can show the same grace to, to my fellow brother and sister in Christ as well. Christ came for sinners. 
We ask at the beginning, isn't it, can God really use sinners in his service? Of course the answer is yes. Of course he can. God can if God can change Paul, save him, transform him, commission him into his service, well, surely he can use you, can use me. The grace of God abounded in Paul's life. It brought about this faith and love and service of God. And I take it that if we've truly understood the gospel of grace, it should have exactly the same impact in the lives of every one of us. If Jesus died for me while I was a sinner, how could I not live for him? How could I not love him, trust him, and serve him? Thirdly, we've seen I need to hold fast to the gospel of grace because there's always a danger. We'll drift or change it, corrupt it. There's always a danger. The false teachers will be in. They'll be having their different doctrines and their speculations. And that's why we need to make sure we keep on appointing faithful people like Timothy with clear consciences who are going to preach and fight for the gospel of grace. And it's why a congregation like this one needs to to make sure they know the gospel of grace. And if there's anyone up in the pulpit or the Bible study group or whatever who's, uh, who's, 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 who's not bringing this gospel, to make sure that you do not tolerate it. Only the gospel of grace can transform lives. We need to fight for it. Fake gospels only shipwreck people's faith. And finally, we've seen that We've known God's grace, then it overflows with praise. Uh, in a moment, we are going to sing that song, uh, Amazing Grace. Uh, and there's a, there's a last verse. It's actually, we're not going to sing it tonight, but there is another, another verse to the song, usually at the end. Uh, and the song ends in praise. Uh, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first I think it puts it very well. It starts with grace. It ends with praise. Praise forever. May we indeed praise God now forevermore for his grace towards us, to sinners like you and me, through the death of his son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your mercy and your grace that you have so abundantly shown us in the death of your Son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we know that we are not worthy of anything from your hand but your judgment. And so we want to thank you that Jesus came and died in our place and took our punishment so that we might be your children. Father, we pray that this gospel of grace may indeed transform our lives, that we might love you and trust you and serve you. We pray, Father, that you you would help us to hold fast to this gospel, to fight for it, and that it will be continued to be preached Sunday by Sunday in our church. And Father, we pray that the gospel of grace might open our lips, that we sing forth your praise.
now and forever, for all that you have done for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.